Joshua chapter number 6. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. Father, as we seek your face, we are in the middle of a fast in order to humble ourselves before you, to have our hands and our hearts cleansed, our thoughts and our minds focused on you, because we need supernatural assistance in our lives, our church, our community, our nation and world. So help us, Father. Restore us. Renew us. We're believing you for breakthrough miracles this year, this week, this month. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. I'm led to just give you a simple truth today. But if we apply this for the next seven days, I believe God will honor it during our 21-day Daniel fast. The good news, I'm not telling you not to talk for the next seven days. But I am going to challenge you to hear the revelation and truth of this passage. This is one of the most unique commands God ever gave his people. Now Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you shall shout. So one way of looking at this passage, be quiet. There's a miracle in progress. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So standing before Israel on this occasion were the formidable walls of Jericho, a fortified and an impenetrable city. It's their first look at what they're about to have to take out as they enter the promised land. Remember, Israel has never seen a city like this. A whole generation of 40-somethings had lived in the wilderness, and about all they ever got to see every day were sunrise and sunset, a lot of sand, scorpions, and snakes. And for the first time, the people of Israel have crossed over the River Jordan, and they're standing on the banks of of the promised land. And they're looking at walls so high and so massive that historians tell us that the the, the residents of Jericho could race chariots on the tops of these walls, two abreast, around the walls, and have actual chariot races on top of them. The Israelites had never seen a place like this. And and to see Jericho encased in these high walls, no way way in, no way out, a very secure, well-fortified city. Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out. And none came in. It was impenetrable. And Israel was there by divine design. Israel was there to take possession of the land of promise. And Israel is challenged to march around the walls of Jericho. So the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people will charge straight into the town. So then Joshua gives Israel this extraordinary additional instruction. 
He said, you shall not shout. You shall not make any, any noise with your voices. Nothing comes out of your mouth. No word shall proceed out of your mouth until I tell you to shout. So Joshua was aware of the inclination of the typical Israelite. Joshua's lifespan was over two generations. He was there when the generation brought back an evil report that they could not take the promised land. He heard the patterns of murmuring and the complaints against God's anointed and appointed leadership. He witnessed God's response because of your unbelief and complaining. You'll wander for 40 years in the desert until you all die off, save for Joshua and Caleb, two men of faith. It's a speech pattern, I'm praying, will change in us on our 21-day Daniel fast. Because our old nature is filled with doubt, fear, and unbelief. We complain, we criticize, and the inclination is to talk ourselves out of victories that God desires to unfold in our lives. And when there is no evidence, when there is this delay, when there's annoyance and opposition to the answers that God has promised to us, those things he said he would manifest in our lives, we have a tendency to begin to murmur, to begin to complain, and talk ourselves out of the victory that God has already promised. So the word goes on to say, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You'll eat your words. The power of death and life are in your tongue, what you speak. With your mouth, you can abort the promises of God. When and where did Joshua learn this great lesson? That it matters what we say when God's attempting to bring out a miracle in our lives. Where did Joshua learn this protocol? Well, he looked in the rearview mirror at the intersection of opportunity that Israel had come to 40 years before. Joshua and Caleb returned from their recon mission in the promised land and said, we are well able. The 10 other recon agents seeing the same lay of the land, came back and said, we are not able. Now watch how this poison spread. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And the whole congregation said to them, leadership, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. All of them. So they said to one another, let us, let us elect or select the leader and return to Egypt. God heard them murmuring and complaining and speaking negatively. I have heard the complaints, he said, which the children of Israel, those which they spake, I have heard the complaints. And God's word records what the people of Israel said. They said, they complained, they murmured, they threatened their leaders, and God heard their murmurings, and he responded to that after having been so patient with them, because he had put them through 22 opportunities to express faith before they got to this place. And he said, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. For every day the ten recon agents murmured. God gave them a year in the wilderness. For every day that they spoke defeat, he said, I will give you a year to wander in the wilderness, in the desert. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my 
rejection. And what you say about God's faithfulness and ability to do the impossible has repercussions even for your children. Because he says, your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity. Their sons could have been living in the land of promise, but they had to suffer in the desert because of dad and mom's incapability of trusting God. When Joshua stood there that day, he watched the children of Israel talk themselves out of the promised land, out of the promises of God, the blessings of God, the victories that God had had promised and covenant to them. Joshua watched them with their mouths, dismantle the divine design that God had planned for them, No doubt Joshua determined then and there, never again will I allow us to come to the place of crossing over into our promises and allow people to talk us out of our miracle. So Joshua said, don't utter a word. And listen to how specific Joshua was. You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. And Joshua said, you talked us out of this miracle 40 years ago. And saints, here we are in 2015, and I know how inclined we are to become negative with our conversation. It's still a part of our old nature. And Joshua said, never again. Now hear this today. In every life, in every home, in every circumstance this new year, there is a victory unfolding Because God is a faithful God. And if you'll keep praying, if you'll keep fasting, if you'll keep worshiping, seeking him, if you'll keep believing, if you will hold on and not grow weary and quit, he will meet your need. We have some of our beloved here at Calvary Christian Center. And they need a breakthrough in their health. They're asking God for a physical miracle. We're praying for them. Our leadership is prioritizing our fast so that we pray for a breakthrough on our new property. Because God wants to bless your home, save your children, turn your finances around. He wants to pour out his spirit into the body of Christ. The key, don't begin to talk yourself out of your victory. There's victory about to unfold in your home, in your lives, and in our church body. But if we cease complaining and cease our whining and cease caving into discouragement and button our critical spirit, refuse to speak defeat in our conversations. Calvary Christian Center, let's not talk ourselves out of victory. God has promised us in his word. Do you believe there's a victory unfolding in your life? Then bless the Lord and thank the Lord. Amen. In this context, the victory was not in question. The giants didn't matter. The walls didn't matter. The number of opposition didn't matter. The victory was never in question. I'm saying to you today, based on God's word, renewal is coming. It's coming to the body of Christ. It's coming to our culture. It's coming to our nation. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on America is coming. These kinds of things give me hope. It's the most exciting thing that I've run across in probably my lifetime. To plan an event similar to one that took place in Houston, Texas three years ago. Forty thousand people gathered in Reliance Stadium to worship and pray for America. 
I believe with all my heart, just like the governor, that the only hope for America is a revival, spiritual revival. It will take place on January 24th in the Pete Maravich Assembly Center. It will not be a time for showing how good a prayer you can pray or speech you can give. But it will be exactly what it says. A response to a country some say is in spiritual decline. Like David of old, willing to get on their face before God, praying he will heal their land. Why not be able to have spiritual revival in this country? Why not be able to fill stadiums and arenas the way that, that Billy Graham and so many others did? got some hope when politicians who love the Lord are finally standing up and proclaiming it's time to pray once again for spiritual renewal in America. Amen? I don't believe the message of the hour is only gloom and doom. I know judgment is a reality for planet earth. It's written in the word. I know the return of Jesus is imminent. I know what the book of Revelation says. I know there's rising wickedness and there's compromise even in the church. But I also know this. There is this promise. The promise to his people is this. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. There are some inevitable victories about to break out on the body of Christ. Our church, the church around the world, if we'll keep our mouths under control, except to pray and praise the name of the Lord and declare his promises in our lives. God said you've marched to the border of your miracle in progress. You're about to enter homes you didn't build and enjoy vineyards you didn't plant. All they had to do to occupy was to keep quiet. That was the instruction. Zip your lip. Don't speak what you feel or what you see, but speak the promises of God during this time. And if you can't say something good, be quiet. Joshua knew their patience would be tried as they marched around those walls for a week. He knew when they looked at that military strategy that Joshua gave them, it didn't make sense. They were outmanned. They were outgunned. They had very little military experience among them. He knew there would be some who disagreed with their directions, and this is the strategy. He knew there would be some intimidated by the enemy, screaming profanities at them from the walls above, while they marched in silence around them. So Joshua said, keep your mouths shut. Use the weapon of silence. And sometimes when someone attacks your motives or the direction you've taken, it's better not to say anything. Sometimes the smartest thing you can do, be quiet. Allow the master to fight the battle. Keep quiet. There's victory in progress. Be still and know that I am God. There's victory in progress whether you see it, whether you feel it, or if you're even aware of it. Everything is on schedule. God is already unfolding his miracle promises for our history and our generation. He's already working on your healing. He's already working on your turnaround. He's working in your circumstance, working with your children. He just needs you to stay in agreement with his word and his promises. And I know there are people who are feeling the pressures of today. 
It's very easy to be blinded by the crucible of your crisis and you get caught up in the emotions of what you're facing. Listen to me. It's easy to regurgitate all the bad things that are going on in your life. But I'm here with a biblical mandate to exhort you today. I'm charged from Scripture by Paul in his epistle from God the Holy Spirit himself to exhort the body of Christ. It matters to God how we talk. It matters how we pray. It matters how we fast. Did you know your prayers can be prophetic? Did you know when you pray you're prophesying and your prayers are a transcript of what God is going to do in your future? So this is how you ought to pray. Father, in reality, I know I'm facing this. I know I'm in the middle of this test and trial. But Father, I thank you. You are my provider. You are my healer. You are the miracle worker in my life. Your your prayers become a prophetic utterance about your future. And I trust while you're fasting and praying, you don't go to God just to whine to him the whole time. But speak victory toward him. Because Malachi records where God stood with his people because of this attitude. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Quit speaking about the odds against you. Stop speaking about all the obstacles. Stop speaking about how bad things have been. Hear the enemy's plot, because this is what he'll do to you, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Some people get worn out by their negative speech, by their constant expression of their energy used for negative results, slowly grinding away until you just talk about it, Next thing you know, you're singing about it. Rainy days and Mondays always get me down and complaining about it. And here's what I'm going to say to you. I will say this. My steps are ordered of the Lord. I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. I will say that he will perfect that which concerns me. I will say what he has begun in me, he will complete. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. I shall call upon him and he will answer me. He will be with me in trouble. He will deliver me and honor me. With long life he will satisfy me and show me his salvation. There's victory in progress. Don't talk yourself out of it. In 2 Kings 4, there was a woman whose son had died. The son had been granted to her by prophetic utterance of the prophet Elisha. And suddenly one day while working out in the fields, he dropped over and died. So his mother took off in a chariot to find the prophet because this boy was by covenant promise. When the prophet saw her coming his way, he sent his servant to go to her and say, is it well? So the first question Elisha's servant asked this lady was, is it well with your husband? And she answered, it is well. Say it with me. It is well. well. Then the servant asked, is it well with you? And she said, it is well. Then the servant asked, is it well with your child? Now here is where we would have had a meltdown. Okay. We would have fallen to pieces. Things are not going well. He died. But notice when the servant asked about her son, here's, here's how she answered. It is well. 
but I have to get to the prophet. And I'm not going to talk myself out of this victory. I'm believing God for a miracle. I am believing for my child, and I must get to the prophet because he was the catalyst by which this promise came to me. Almost like she wasn't being honest with her words, but what she was saying is, I don't want to talk to you about it. I want to talk to the Lord. He gave me this son, and I know he'll restore my son. Sometimes if you get to talking to people about your challenge, you'll talk yourself right out of your victory. But if you keep talking to the Lord, the one who made the promise to you, he will empower your faith. You'll watch God grant you your miracle. She would not be talked out of her miracle. 2 Kings 4.27, Gehazi, the servant, came near to push her away, but the man of God said, let her alone. She was listening to what she had to say. The result, God raised her son from the dead that day. There was a famine in Samaria, and the people were so desperate because they were surrounded by a military force cut off from water and food supplies. The people got so desperate in the famine. They had nothing to eat. All, all their goods were expended. They began to eat donkey's heads and dove's dung. In the middle of the famine, Elisha the prophet stood up and he declared, Hear the word of the Lord. By this time tomorrow, five quarts of fine flour will be sold for a single little piece of silver. There'll be so much food, the supply will be more than the demand. It'll be overwhelming supply. And this was in the middle of a famine. Okay, They're all starving to death. And the king's right-hand man said, How in the world can this be? If God were to open the windows of heaven and pour it down, we would never get that much food that quickly by this time tomorrow. It's not possible. What was unknown to him, there were four leopards lepers outside the city gates, and they were believing for a turnaround rather than sitting there in their doubt. And they began to converse, and one of the lepers turned to the others and said, why should we sit here waiting to die? Let's go engage the enemy. The worst thing that can happen is they'll kill us. If we sit here, we're going to die anyways. So they go limping into the camp of the enemy who had surrounded Samaria And they find the enemy in full retreat. For the Lord God had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. That's the armies and the hosts of heaven. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. God saw these steps taken by these these lepers deemed to be hopeless and helpless, and God always responds to faith. Now watch. When the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. And finally, they said to each other, this isn't right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anybody. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace what God's done here. So they didn't comprehend the people of Samaria. They were all locked up inside the city trying to stay alive. They didn't comprehend. God was already unfolding a miracle outside the gates. They were not aware of it in Samaria. Oh, by the way, the king's right-hand man 
who expressed verbally the doubt about food manifesting in the middle of a military siege. Here's what happened. The king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate and he died just as the man of God had said. He told God, you can't do something that great. There will always be those who say, it can't be. There are always people who say, God won't do that today. There are always people who will try to talk you out of the promises of God. But God is already working on your behalf because he wants you to be blessed. He wants you favored. Listen to me. Quiet. There is a victory in progress. Jairus' daughter in the New Testament was sick with a very serious illness. And her father asked Jesus to come heal her. But there was a delay as Jesus stopped to heal another woman. Now the report came to the dad that Jairus' daughter, your daughter died. And Jesus responded to Jairus, do not be afraid. Only believe. Jesus dispensed with all the mourners that had gathered at that house of Jairus, those that were weeping and crying. And he said to them, why make this commotion and and weeping? And he had put them all outside, all of them. Quiet the commotion. No whining in here. Be quiet. Quiet, please. There's victory in progress, and when God's ready to do great things in your life, it matters that you come into agreement with his word. Because Jesus raised her from the dead. Now listen to what happens when he meets up with his disciples, and he's describing what he's about to do. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke God. (laughs) He rebuked God. Think about this. He used his mouth to rebuke God. Same mouth he had used to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now he's rebuking God and saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned, Jesus did, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. What Jesus was saying, you're not speaking the things of God. You're trying to talk me out of the greatest victory ever, ever in history that's already in progress. I'm on my way to finish this. I'm about to defeat death, to defeat sin, to defeat Satan, to purchase my church. I'm not listening to this. Get behind me, Satan. You're not talking me out of the victory my father's promised. Some people are experiencing frustration. You're going through a difficult journey. If you're not careful, you'll talk yourself out of the victory that unfolding in your life, that God's working. And I'm saying we ought to, what we ought to do is become praisers, grateful people who love and honor the Lord and trust him. Pastor Mark Batterson, back in D.C., Washington, D.C., Kirsten's pastor for a number of years while she was working for the, at the Pentagon. She would attend their church regularly along with my, my friend, John Ashcroft. That was his home church while he was attorney general. They got to recognize each other there over the years. 
Mark Batterson wrote the book, The Circle Maker. Some of you may have read it. And he shares about the legend of the circle maker. And he said this, and I'll quote right from his book. Young children danced in the downpour like it was the first rainfall they had ever seen. Parents threw back their heads and opened their mouths and caught raindrops like there were diamonds falling from the sky. It would forever be remembered as the day the thunderclaps applauded the Almighty. The day puddle jumping became an act of praise. The day the legend of the circle maker was born. It was the first century and a devastating drought threatened to destroy a generation. The last Jewish prophets had died off four centuries before. Miracles were such a distant memory, they seemed like a false memory, and God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man, an eccentric sage who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, who dared to pray anyway. His name was Honai. And this is the legend taught by Jewish rabbis to this day. Quote, Even if the people could no longer hear God, he believed that God could still hear them. When rain is plentiful, it's an afterthought. When there is a drought, it's the only thought. And Honai was their only hope. Famous for his ability to pray for rain, it was on this day that Honai would earn his money. With a six-foot staff in his hand, Honai began to turn like a math compass. 360 degrees with that staff, he draws a circle in the dirt. He never looked up as the crowds looked on. And after what seemed like hours but took seconds, Honai stood inside the circle he had drawn. He dropped to his knees and with his hands raised to heaven, with the authority of the prophet Elijah who had called down fire from heaven, Honai called down rain. Lord of the universe, I swear by your great name, I will not move from this circle until you have sent mercy upon your children. The words sent a shudder down the spines of all who were within earshot that day. It wasn't just the volume of his voice, it was the authority of his tone. His prayer was resolute, yet humble. Expectant, yet unassuming. And then it happened. As his prayer ascended to heaven, raindrops descended on the earth. Gasps came from the thousands who had encircled Honai. Their eyes turned heavenward as the first raindrops fell from the sky. But Honai's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over every drop, but Honai was not satisfied with a sprinkle. Still kneeling within the circle, Honai lifted his voice over the celebration. Not for such a rain have I prayed, but for the rain that would fill ditches and pits. And the sprinkle turned into a torrential downpour. The rain fell so heavenly that people fled from Temple Mount to escape flash floods. But Honai stayed and prayed in the circle. And it rained until they did not need rain anymore. End quote. Honai drew a circle around himself and he prayed a bold prayer because bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. He is not blessed when we don't believe him for anything. And that's what Israel was doing around the walls of Jericho on the day my text was recorded. 
They drew a circle. What do you believe in God to do? Draw a spiritual circle. Get in it. Get into agreement with God about it. And say, Father, I'm not going to give up on this miracle until I see you pour out what you said in your word. For the next seven days, there's to be no talk that is unbelieving or negative. You draw a circle and say, I am praying prophetic prayers that are in agreement with God's word. And in that circle may be your son, your daughter, your health, your finances, your business. But you draw a circle like Israel did around Jericho and say, for the next seven days, I will circle this issue in my life. I will not speak defeat one time. I will not utter a negative or doubt-filled word. For the next seven days, I will draw a circle and walk around that obstacle until the walls of resistance fall down. So what's going to happen if you get into agreement with God through your fasting and praying? Because everybody here is dealing with something. For seven days, like blind Bartimaeus outside the old city ruins of Jericho. And everybody knew he was blind. He yelled at Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. And Jesus looked at him and said, what do you want me to do? And remember, when God asks you a question, it's not for his benefit. It's for yours. God knew what was wrong with Bartimaeus. He wanted him to speak it, to ask, to come to him. What do you want me to do? Be bold as God asks you to respond to him. What is it you desire? What do you want? Be bold. You all got a piece of paper when you walked in. Take it out. Get a writing instrument. If you don't have a piece of paper somehow you didn't get one there's a tithe envelope on the back of the seat in front of you for some people it'll be the first time they picked one up that's good you're getting practice that'll be good and take it out get that piece of paper and here's what I want you to do write down that one thing What is that one thing you need God to do for you? Get in agreement with God and his word. Believe him. Pray the promises of God so your prayer becomes prophetic. Be bold in what you put on a piece of paper. Then once you put that one word down, draw a circle around it. seven days there won't be a word negative come out of my mouth I'm going to believe you that in the next week this miracle is going to start to unfold this one thing are you ready I want you to stand to your feet and hold up that piece of paper 
And I want you to hold that thing into, into, into the heavens. And I want you to say, Father, from this Sunday to next Sunday, I will march around this problem without one word of defeat. I will not speak anything but the promises of your word. I circle these walls of resistance. I'm saying they are coming down. Satan's work is broken. In the name of Jesus. Come on, lift your hands and praise him. Praise him. Praise him. We're not believing for a sprinkle on our heads, but an outpouring of abundant power and a great answer. And even if all hell breaks loose this week, you hold on and don't you utter a word of defeat. Quiet. When that stuff starts welling up in you, quiet. There's victory in progress. Let God unfold the miracle. He's working for your good. For all things are working together for good. For those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. For your healing. For the favor of the Lord. For family salvation. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Shout as if the walls had already fallen. Come on.